Welcome to the podcast of Celebration Christian Church located in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. I am Pastor Jonathan Autry, and we will strive each week to bring you the fundamental principles of what the Bible says on how you can truly live and lead a Christian life. Everyone has their own opinion of how we should live, but the question is, what does the Bible say? It is only through His Word that we can truly find the answers. So open your mind, open your heart, and let God guide you through His Word. In the name of Jesus, let us praise the Lord. Amen. Today, proper perspective. And I was really um, kind of battling with what today's third and last message was going to be all about. And I don't know why, but God just kept taking me back to the same story, back to the same story. I said, okay, God, if you want it to be on this story, what can we draw from it? Because I'm really big into the application. God's word is God's word. It's going to be amazing. It has a lot to say. And I'm not that type of person that likes to kind of take a story or take something from the Bible and manipulate it into fit what I want to say. I said, God, give me some really good applicationable thoughts that we can take from this story. So this morning, we're going to be in the book of Judges chapter seven. Uh, we're going to be talking about Gideon and 300 and how this applies to our proper perspective for 2023 how we can have a better outlook on what's going to be happening this year and how God can use us in our personal lives, in our church, in our places of ministry to do amazing things. You know, our thoughts at times will limit his infinite possibilities. You think about it. What gets in the way of God doing great things in our lives or in the ministries he's put us in? Nothing more than the breaks that we put on it. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that say, well, you know, I know that God has pushed me or pulled me to do something I just didn't feel comfortable with and I never ended up doing it. I'll never forget the story of a, of a guy that me and Pastor Jorge grew up with uh, as young kids. We always looked up to this guy because he was just so spiritual. He was such a great spiritual guy. And it seemed like he knew the Bible. So well, we would play this game in youth group as, as young people, 13, 14 years old, back then when you didn't just turn on your Bible, you know, you actually had a physical Bible you took. This is how crazy this game was. To me, when they, when I started playing this game, I was like, who in the, who in the world could ever play this game? They would literally take the Bible. I don't know if Pastor Jorge remembers this. And they would stand behind something like this. He would randomly open the Bible and just start reading. And the object of the game, you were on two teams, was to find exactly where he was in the Bible and start reading. So like you had to pay attention to what he was talking about to get the context of, oh, I remember Paul said that. Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Where did he say that? <laughs> and then you just start scrambling and everybody's flipping through their Bibles. And it was so unfair because this guy's name was Adonis. Everyone wanted Adonis on their team because he was the Bible nerd. He just is like, it's like he had no TV at home, nothing. And all he did all day long was read his Bible. And everyone wanted him on, his, on their team. And Adonis grew up believing that God had called him to preach. Adonis grew up believing that he was going to be a pastor. And all these things, long story short, Adonis' life has been compiled of translating letters from children to sponsors in the States. 
I'm not saying that that's an inferior job. Maybe that was his calling, but I feel that God called him to so much more. But because of certain decisions he made in his life, because of certain, certain things that happened, he himself limited God to what God could have done in his life. And someone that we looked up to so much that we were fed from so much that had so many teachings and so many good messages. Now we've never seen him live up to the potential that we all thought he was capable of reaching even himself. So how do our thoughts limit God? And I want us to think about 2023, no matter how old you are, where you live, what your economic status is, what does God have intended for you for this year? I was having a conversation with someone this weekend, and she, when I was having this conversation, she she's completely right. You can't sell too much vision too fast because people just get scared. You know, people are like uh, I don't know, you're 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 a little bit way too out there for me, a little too ambitious for my liking. But in my life, I have learned something. I'm always looking for the next thing. Even if there's something already happening that's big and amazing and great, I'm always looking for that next step, the next big thing that God's going to do. And that's why I need to have proper perspective for 2023. Because the Bible teaches clearly that without vision, without the people will be lost. We have to have a vision for those around us, for our families, for our neighbors that don't know God. We have to have vision of what God can do with them. So how are our thoughts at times limiting what he is doing in us? He can and will do more than you could ever imagine if your perspective would only live up to his possibilities. If we could get our perspective to match up with his possibilities, it would be amazing. Who knows what God could do? We'll never know because if we don't put it into practice, if we don't go for it, if we don't put our 100%, we'll never know what God can truly do. He can and will do more. And that's the title of today's message in this series. He can and will do more. He's not finished with me. I mean, I hear of, of stories of people that retire. And then when they retire, it's like, they get into ministry and they do start serving others and doing for others. And it seems like they're busier now than they were before they retired. I'm like, great. That is such an inspiration to all those. The other day, my dad, his birthday was, Janine's not here. I think it was Friday. Yeah, it was Friday. His birthday was Friday. He turned 62. Old man. That's what I call him. Old man. Old man. I'm sorry, Andy. <laughs> I call him old man. And I said, Dad, when are you gonna when are you gonna retire? And he got livid. He got angry. He said, I will never retire as long as God gives me the energy to walk and talk and move. I will be preaching God's word until I die. I was like, that's a great testimony. So when are you gonna transition? <laughs> that's the word I changed the word on him. Judges chapter 7, I know this is a story that we've, we're all familiar with, but it's a great story. And I want to take three or four truths from this story that might help us have proper perspective for 2023. Gideon leads the Israelites to war against an overwhelming enemy. From the beginning, they were in a war of unfavorable odds. 
Number one, first thing this morning, and this morning's message is going to be a little bit short. I'll tell you why when we finish, okay? But number one, your thoughts must glorify him over you. Your thoughts must glorify him over you. And I know that we understand this concept. It's all about God. It's all God. But sometimes that's what's coming out of our mouth, but maybe not what's in our heart. Sometimes we have to... Sometimes we need that pat on the back to feel like we're doing something. We need that encouragement. We need to feel like we're appreciated. We need to feel, and and sometimes it can get in the way of what God's trying to do. We're so concerned about what others see us doing. We're so concerned about what others think of us that we forget about who we're serving and why we do what we do. I know this is true. I had a meeting with the pastor not too long ago. Actually, it was all of our pastor, pastoral staff. And we were meeting with this one man. And he, ha- he was having an issue. He was having a problem. And in the conversation, he said, well, I never get the microphone at church. I never get the microphone. And I just looked at him and everyone looked at him and he said, what does a microphone have to do with your calling? What does a microphone have to do? I will be the first to say that probably one of my least, um, one of my worst gifts, if you will, is public speaking. This is not, what I'm doing right now, this is not of me. I'm not proficient at public speaking. I'll teach all day long. Let's get in a classroom. Let's get 12 people around a table. Let me get my PowerPoint up there and let's study and I'll teach you God's word. But preaching is not my area of forte. I do it because that's the position. That's the place God's put me in. And I'm going to be obedient to his calling. But I have no need to hold this. Actually, in our other church, I look for opportunities to let other people preach. Because I don't necessarily want to be up there. It's like I've said many times. I just want to be on the team. I don't got to be on the field. I just want the trophy. (laughs) Amen. I just want the crown. I just want the crown. I just want to be able to say, God, thank you for letting me play here. It's all yours. I did it for you. Had nothing to do with me. Nothing. It was all you the whole time. Your thoughts must glorify him over you. Judges chapter seven. Then Jerob bow. That is Gideon. And all the people who were with him got up early and set up camp at Herod's spring. There was a camp of Midianites to the north of them in the valley near the the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many people with you for me to give the Midianites into their hands. I love that verse. The Lord says to Gideon, he's got like 30 40,000 men, something like that. My math, if you read the story, you read the story and you can see the math of how God dwindles them down. So when you do the math, you come out to over 30,000 men, probably around 35,000 men. And God's saying, you have too many people with you for me to give the Midianites into your hands. About you, you're not gonna do this. I will use you as a utensil to get this done. But at the end of the day, you're not going to bring the victory home. I am. You could have 50,000, 100,000 men. I don't need all these people to get done. 
what I have to get done. And you know, this is a piece of scripture that I often go to for encouragement because did you know that in ministry, usually 5% is doing what the 100% should be doing? 5% is doing what the 100% should be doing. 5% is providing this space, these chairs, the music, the worship. And then a lot of us just to, to sit down and enjoy it. But I go to the story and I say, God doesn't need everybody to get what he's going to get done. Because at the end of the day, he's going to get it done regardless. Psalm says that if we don't speak, this, the rocks will speak. So just to be a part of that 300 to me is like, well, of the 35,000, if you chose me to be a part of the 300, I can consider myself part of the elite. And I am honored to be that small portion that you're willing to use, God. You have too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. Lest Israel, listen what God says here. Lest Israel glorify themselves over me, saying, our own power saved us. This is why the Cowboys never win. Sorry. <laughs> Got a lot of Texans in here. <laughs> this is why the Yankees. I can't stand them. They're all about the flash. All about the money. All about the high dollars. It's all about the glory of who they are and where they come from. You got to respect them and honor them because they're the big dogs. In God's kingdom, it's not about any of that. None of that means anything because at the end of the day, the only person that's going to receive honor and glory is God. If you're in this for your own honor and glory, if you're in this because you need your name on the board, if you're in this because you want to be recognized, you're in this for all the wrong reasons. Serving God is exactly that. Serving. Serving. The first will be the last and the last will be the first. I, whenever I have the opportunity to serve, I'm going to serve. Now there's, of course, there's jobs I don't like doing. And I'm not going to lie. There's times where I'm doing jobs and I'm like, man, I'm the pastor. I shouldn't be doing this. Sweeping the floor. Come on. Somebody else can get a broom. I got people I need to take home. I got this I got to do. It's not that I'm too proud to do it. I'm just saying I have other things that are more important that I should be doing. But it's not about me. It's not about the winner. It's about the team. It's about what God is doing. Lest Israel glorify themselves over me saying, our own power saved us. God was very adamant about, I'm going to do this for me. I don't need a bunch of people to get it done because I don't need Israel thinking or forgetting better yet. Who did this? That's why when you see stories in the Bible of where God took insignificant people and did great things, it was with the purpose that he could receive all the honor and glory. Case in point, David and Goliath. Got a little 14, 15-year-old kid out there with a slingshot against a warrior giant, almost 10 foot tall, against a 5-4 foot Five, five foot kid had never, ever been to war in his life. It wasn't just chance that he went out there and he, no, God was on his side. When you take those stories and you see how God did miraculous and great thing with the least of them. I know I'm the least of them. 
I know that I, there's nothing special about me. You can ask my wife. Nothing special about me. Ask my seminary student, uh, my, my seminary teachers. When I was in Bible college, I was probably like fourth or fifth in my class. There were at least two or three that were above me. And I'm talking about a small class of like six guys that graduated with me. <laughs> it's, like, it's me saying third or fourth. There's not anything to write home about, okay? I was mediocre at best. Nothing great about me. Now, you want to know something? The guy that graduated, if you will, valid Victorian from my senior class in seminary is sitting at a phone company writing up bills. And that's what I'm saying. Perspective changes everything. Passion will change everything. You could have all the book knowledge. You could have all the assets. You could have all the money. But if your perspective, if your outlook isn't to do something amazing for God, you're not going to get there. So now call out so the people can hear. Whoever's afraid or anxious may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. I'm sorry to say this, guys, but I probably would have been in that group. <laughs> I deal with anxiety. I deal with that anxiety. That's a big one for me. That's something that, I, I mean, that's the thorn in my side. I get anxious. Anxiety is something I have to deal with. I might have been in that group of men. Say, hey, get, get in. I believe in you. Good luck. Godspeed. I'm going home. So 22,000 from among the people turned back. And 10,000 were left. That's where we get the 32, 35,000. Simple math. 22,000. Two-thirds of the army went home. I don't know why 10,000 stayed behind. I was like, this was already going to be a hard sell. We're already at a disadvantage because they didn't have one enemy ahead of them. They had several groups of enemies waiting for them. This is like one of the first steps. Then they had like two or three other people groups that they had to fight just to get through. 22,000 of them. Leave. Fear will keep you from the victory and seeing what he is capable of. And seeing what he is capable, capable of. So many people stopped before they got there that they never really saw what he could do, what he was capable of doing in their life. And that's what fear will do. Number two, you must think toward awareness. You must think toward awareness. We need to be very vigilant and conscious about our surroundings. If you want to have a good perspective, if you want to have that positive outlook, it's not being irresponsible and just saying, oh, by God, we're just going to get it all done. You need to know what you're up against, what's around you, and have a positive outlook on this. Hey, I'm not ignorant to how hard things can be. It's not that I just take a faith pill every morning and I cut up in the morning and say, whatever happens, happens. I've had people from this church that have stood beside me and said, Pastor, I don't know how it's going to happen, but we'll be praying for it. Steve's one of them. 
He knows. He's seen. He's been here from the beginning. He's seen God move. And many times he's given testimony to me about how he's amazed at what God has done. But never, never, never. You know, he's always asked me the hard questions. He's always challenged me. Well, Jonathan, how, what do you think about this? Well, how's this going to happen? Well, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? And sometimes I was like, you know what? I don't know. But somehow, some way, I think it'll happen. I, I try to know what I'm up against and what's surrounding me. And I think to have proper perspective for you to be able to come into the year and conquer whatever it is that's ahead of you, you need to know what you're getting into. Verse 4 says, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many people. If I'm going to do a great thing in Israel, if I'm going to reel Israel back in to knowing who I am and what I'm capable of, because if you look at the story of Israel and you see they kept getting away from God, they kept forgetting everything God had done for them. They kept forgetting who God was. And at this point, he's saying, I'm going to make it my personal, my, my earnest way to show them who I am once again. So there's still too many people. Gideon's probably scratching his head saying, um, I think God's trying to set me up for failure here. I get it. Maybe 30,000 was a little ambitious. 35,000 might've been a little bit ambitious. We can cut it down. Yeah. I don't want those anxious, fearful people on the team. Anyways, they're not going to do a lot of help to us. Oh, man, now we're good. We got 10,000 strong, courageous men, and we can go in there and get a victory because these guys are pumped. Still got too many people, Gideon. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. I love that, too. Gideon, you don't have to do the testing. I'll weed them out for you. I, I, I know what I'm doing. Okay, I got this. Just bring them down to the water. I'll test them there for you. When I say to you, this one will go with you, he will go with you. Everyone about whom I will say, this one will not go with you, will not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, you shall set apart by himself everyone who laps the water with his tongue like dogs. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. So he said, I want you to take them all down to the water and tell them to drink some water. Everybody that gets down on their knees and drinks of the water, they're not going. And everyone that brings the water up to their mouth, they're going. Now, we've had people and we've heard these things and why the theories and everything. And I like the theory of that those 300 that brought the water up to their mouth were because they were conscience, conscious warriors that wanted to be aware of their surroundings. They weren't going to make themselves vulnerable to the enemy. They were going to suffice their needs. They were going to fill their needs, but they were going to be aware of everything that was around them. The rest of the people had knelt to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon with 300 men who lapped to drink, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. All the rest of the people should go home. Be aware of your surroundings. See what God is capable of doing around you. If you cannot imagine it, you cannot see it. If you cannot see it, it won't happen through you. That's what this perspective thing is all about. 
It's seeing things first, envisioning things first, asking God to give you clear guidance, clear sight. And, you know, that's kind of an oxymoron because it's not always going to be real clear. Amen? There's going to be some doubt. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be black and white. But you know what? One thing is a sure thing. When you feel in your heart and know that that's what God's calling you to, there can be everything else against you. Everything can be against your favor. But if he's calling your heart to it, you just need to respond and obey. Respond and obey. And like I always say, just let let the cards fall wherever they're going to fall. But as far as you, you give your 110%. Don't give any reason for it not to happen. If you can imagine, if you cannot imagine it, you cannot see it. If you cannot see it, it won't happen through you. It's like I said in the first sermon of the series. He that says he can and he who says he can't are both right. I'm going to do this. I can. And I'm going to get it done. And I was right. I can't do this. Well, you're just going to be decided that you're not even going to try. So you're going to fail from the beginning. You didn't even get started. You didn't even give it a try. They brought the water up their mouth in preparation of their surroundings. They lapped the water to suffice their need and engulfed themselves in the process. They were engulfed in the process that they're warriors. Even though it was a downtime where they were supposed to be drinking water and refreshing themselves and getting ready for war, they knew what was coming. They could see what was happening around them. They could see their huge army dwindle down little by little. And they were taking very serious what was to come in this war. You need to live life sufficing the needs of it while being completely vigilant and prepared to all God can do around you. I'm not telling you that we all have to be pastors. That wouldn't work too well. We have a lot of churches with only five people in them. <laughs> Amen. We wouldn't get much done. We can't all be pastors. We can't all be full-time ministry. You know, some of, some of you are here because God gave you beautiful, amazing business minds. And now you're able to retire in paradise. You're able to live off the rest of your lives here if God tarries. And that's, that's a great thing. God needs doctors. He needs dentists. Thank God for our real estate agents that bring a lot of people to our church. <laughs> we need all these different things. Because as a community, as a body, each one has their own function. And through it, we can be the hands and feet. How could we be the hands and feet if we don't have the head? If we don't have the legs? If we don't have the arms? If we don't have the body, the organs? We all have to do our part so that we can be the body of Christ. Change your perspective. Verse 8. So the 300 men took provisions and ram horn trumpets in their hands. Gideon sent all the other Israelite men to their tents. But he kept the 300 men. Now the Midianite camp was below him in the valley. And the Israelites start to prepare for victory. I don't know how they're preparing for victory. I would be more anxious and more afraid than ever right now to see our army go down to less than a tenth of what it should be. 
And now we're getting ready for war. Number three, your perspective will defeat you before you get started. If you're not careful with your perspective, you'll be defeated before you even start. Look at this, verse eight. So the 300 men took provisions and ram horn. They went down. Gideon sent all the other Israelite men to their tents, but he kept 300 men. Now the Midianite camp was below him in the valley. That night, the Lord said to him, get up and go down into the camp for I have given it into your hands. Some reassuring words from God. Amen. Don't worry about this, Gideon. This is all done. The victory is yours, but I need you to go down into the camp. I would have been God. I trust you. If this is a victory, that's great, but I don't think I want to go down into their camp the night before and get killed all by myself. You sure this plan's going to work? Verse 10, yet if you are afraid to go down, then go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. Oh, that's a lot of help. Just go down with one other guy. Thought you'd send at least 12 of them with me. Listen to what they say, and afterward you will be em emboldened. That's a new word. To go down to the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down near the edge of the camp. Now the Midianites, Amalekites, and the Kedemites covered the valley like locusts. Three people groups all together. And the Bible says that they covered the valley like locusts. And if you could understand the context of that, whenever there, that was a fear back then, especially when they were growing their wheat or their barley or whatever it was, when the locusts would come in, they would literally cover the field and it would be a complete loss. So it's like us saying that, you know, it was just covered in ants. And I'm thinking that as Gideon gets close and he sees how massive his enemy is, and he's with his servant. He was already afraid because the Bible says, if you're afraid, take your servant. So he's got his servant with him. So he's obviously afraid. He's obviously anxious. And he's probably thinking to himself, this is crazy. We're going to go in here with 300 men to fight three different people groups. They were like locusts and their camels could not be counted. For they were as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. Gideon came and overheard one man who was telling his dream to another. And the man said, listen to a dream I had. I saw a dry cake of barley bread rolling into the Midianite camp. It rolled up to a tent and struck it. It fell, turned upside down, and collapsed. The other man responded, this is none other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelites. God has given Midian and the whole camp into his hands. So he goes down and he's afraid. He's anxious. He goes with his servant and he comes up to a tent and he starts hearing that the enemy is even more afraid. He already had the security from God saying, I'm going to give you the victory. But now he goes down to the enemy and he hears the confirmation of God through the enemy that he was already afraid, that they were already weary, that they already knew the Israelites and the God of Israel. And that's why we need to be careful with our perspective because we can be like them. We can, from the beginning, just start overthinking things and overthinking the process and seeing that our enemy is too great. And we will. Render the victory over before it even starts. 
The thoughts and fear they had created such doubt that they lost the battle before it even began. Number four, when we know the outcome. It's supposed to be when we know the outcome, dot, 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 because that's not where the thought finishes. But number four is when we know the outcome. Things are so much easier when you know the outcome. We're trying to finish our building over in Verone. And for two weeks, we've been fighting with the bank over transfer that we got to help us start finishing the building. I've got a dozen or more construction workers that are showing up day in, day out. They're starting to ask when they're going to get paid. I've got materials sitting on site. I've got hardware stores wanting to get paid. And I'm thinking to myself, this isn't really good, but I know the money's there. How many times do you get involved in something and you have no solution? You have no hope. You don't know what's on the other side. That's a tough that's a tough spot to be in. But when you know that the solution is there, it's just a matter of things playing itself out, it makes it so much easier to push forward. And sometimes we want that security before we start responding to God. See, the this is how it played out. Gideon was there. He has an army. He feels secure in what he's doing. God says, you got too many people. They cut it down by a third. He sends all the anxious people home. He's probably thinking, oh, we didn't need them anyways. We got 10,000 good men now. Then they cut it down to 300. He's obviously afraid. He's not Gideon, the mighty soldier who's thinking to himself, I, I got 300 men and God on my side. We're going to get this done. No, he's afraid. He goes down after God has already confirmed the victory, but now he hears it's confirmed from the enemy as well. Now, storming the enemy camps has become a lot easier because he knows the outcome. But we too know the outcome. When we know the outcome, it makes it so much easier to carry out his will. It will only boil down to your obedience. Execution. Can you execute? Can you do what God has called you to do? I'm always the type that would, I would rather... I, I never want to overcommit and underdeliver. I don't want to promise the world and fall short. I'd rather say, hey, we're going to go to this place and the food, it's all right. It's edible. And then everyone get there and say, oh, wow, the food's amazing here. You know, I'd rather it be that way than me say, oh, we're going to go to this place. The food's going to be amazing. And people are twiddling their forks on their plates, obviously not enjoying everything. And now I look like I didn't know what I was talking about. It all, it all boils down to our obedience. God has committed everything to us. He's promised everything to us. And if he moves in your heart and he puts passion in your heart about something, it's only up to you if you're going to obey or not. Guess what? God's got a whole list of other people ready to go. So the decision falls on you. Do you want to be a part of it? Or do you want to pass your role on to somebody else? Do you want to have the opportunity to give him the, the honor and glory for it? Or do you want someone else to have that position? Verse 20 says, the three combat units blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the torches in their left hands and the horns for blowing in their right hands. They called out. 
a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place all around the camp. But the men in the camp ran, shouted, and fled. When they blew the 300 horns, the Lord turned every man's sword against his fellow man throughout the camp. That's crazy. They didn't even have to fight. The enemies were fighting themselves. They're up on the hill, blowing horns, yelling and screaming, looking down at a confused group of people that are winning the war for them. The Midianite camp fled to Beth Shittah in the direction of Zerah, up the border of Abel, Meloah, near Tabith. I know I murdered a lot of those words. It's okay. It's okay. The men of Israel from Neph Nephtali, Asher, and of Manasseh, Manasseh, I got someone over here that knows all these pronunciations. I'm afraid to ask her. Were summoned and they chased after the Midianites. Change your perspective on this year and what will be. Have a positive outlook on a known outcome. What's the known outcome? As long as I do everything as to the Lord and not for men, the outcome is, is going to be his honor and glory. Look, it's not about what you're going to get out of the deal. It's just your, it's just your responsibility to obey. God will get out of it whatever he wants to get out of it. If he wants to do great things with you, he will do great things with you. And he'll get the honor and glory. If he wants to do small, significant things for others out of you, then he will get the honor and glory for that too. One thing that I've always had to struggle with as a pastor that is trying to start a movement, a church planning movement is my, my one big deal is accepting the fact that I am not responsible for the results. Did you get that? I'm not responsible for the results. You're not responsible for the results. You and I are responsible to listen to his calling and obey. And then you know who's responsible for the results? He is. He is. And amen. If he wants to grow our church one day to 300, that's on him. If he wants us to stay a small congregation, that's on him too. And you know what? It's not going to change anything in this heart right here. And it shouldn't change anything in your heart. We're always going to push towards the mark. We're always going to obey the calling. He is able to do far more, far more than what you could ever think. If you limit him with your perspective, you limit his hand in the victory. I'm not limiting myself. I'm just limiting what God can do through me. Again, like I said, I don't think there can be a better quote for this morning than I don't need to be the captain. I don't need to get the MVP award. I just want to be on the team. God, you're going to do great things here? Let me be on the team. Let me be a part of it. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Help us to have a positive, encouraged, God-led perspective for 2023. I don't know what our past years have been like. I don't know what we've struggled through or lived with before. 
But one thing, God, that we need to understand is, is that you are calling us to things. You are moving us to things. And if we don't be obedient, then we miss out on the greater things in life. I understand the, re- I understand the responsibilities that we carry in this lifetime. I understand that we have families to take care of, jobs to do. But Lord, may we never lose sight of our number one, our first love. That's you and your purpose in our lives. May we one day be on the other side of glory, filled with all the things that we were able to accomplish for your honor and glory. And may we give testimony of how we did it all for you. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.